0: Thanks for making it again. I appreciate you if you listen to the first episode, especially if this is your first one. Well, you could go back and listen to episode one. It's not really all that um, prescient, or I should say uh, re- recent. It's very much um, a look back at the past. And from here, you know, in this episode, we're going to look back a little bit more at the past, just of but the past relating to the new guys that have joined the organization since uh, November. Um, but first, I wanted to talk about... Um, you know, last I record on Mondays, uh, last Sunday was, of course, the Tyler Toffoli trade. Um, and, you know, first of all, Tyler Toffoli's first goal as the Calgary Flame was incredible. Um, I mean, he came in, he was on one skate from about the top of the, the faceoff circle until he got to the crease. And then he, sw- he as he was cutting to the net, he switched feet, so he was on the other foot. Uh, And then just had a really tight angle and still put it in. You know, not to say that we never saw Tyler Toffoli do anything that cool in Montreal because he scored quite a few goals um, in his very short time with the Canadians, but that was about as pretty of a goal as I've seen him score. Even though his his skating stride still looks incredibly awkward, Um, but that seems to be like a good fit for Toffoli out there. But you know, more so, I was I was just, you know, taking it all in on Twitter and, and you know, how everybody has processed the trade. Um, Tyler Toffoli, I, I'm still shocked at the response, and not in a bad way. Uh, he played 111 games with, with Montreal, and the entire city fell in love with him, his wife, and their dog. Like, that's that's not something that happens with every player. Um, you know, most of the time the trades are, are rather... Uh, was unceremonious. Um, and, you know, Tyler Tafoli's came pretty quick. There were rumblings that Calgary was interested, and then all of a sudden, you know, Elliot Freeman says that they're close on a trade, which means basically it's done, and they're just pushing it over the one-yard line, um, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. But um, I think that, you know, despite the end of Tyler Toffoli in Montreal, I, I think this could go a long way in recruiting free agents in the future. Um you know he's a guy that they got because you know it was the the COVID year they couldn't people weren't doling out the same free agent money to secondary scorers which is what Tyler Toffoli essentially is, um, and Montreal got him. He fell in, he embraced the opportunity in Montreal. He was a he was a model Canadian. Um, you know I can't say anything uh, to de- to the detriment of of Tyler Toffoli. I will say I have the sneaking suspicion that we have not seen the last of him in Montreal. I feel like at some point down the line, we may see him in a Canadian sweater again. Um, I don't have any sort of inside information on that. That's just more so my gut, but I feel like we haven't seen the end of him in Montreal. He can come back, um, you know, and the city will will accept him with open arms, hopefully after winning another cup. Um, That Calgary team looks pretty scary. Um, You know, and watching former Canadians go on to win a cup this year would be pretty fun. Um, I like watching the playoffs when the Canadians aren't involved. It's very fun as an impartial um, observer just to kind of take in all of the chaos on any given night. You can channel surf a little bit more as opposed to being glued to one channel just to watch your team. Um, you know, so long as those Canadians that move on aren't playing for Toronto or Boston, I can see myself cheering for a, a number of Canadians to go on and win a cup. Um, I want someone to get sent to Florida. Um, or Carolina. I don't really like Carolina all that much, but th- I I caught um Kane's Panthers last week, and that Panthers team is loaded and loads of fun to watch. Um, but for now, those players are still on the Canadians, the Ben Schrott's, the Jeff Petries, the Arturi Lakanens of the world. Um, so we need to, you know, I wanted to use use this episode to talk a little bit about guys who have taken over Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes kind of break down where they came from more so along lines with Jeff Gorton, just because that information is so much more readily available. And then kind of use that as a way to understand, um, where they may be headed with this Canadians team that has a lot of, of, of work to do before they are relevant again. Um, so I guess we'll start there. Um, obviously Jeff Gorton is, um, Half of what Mark Bergman's old role used to be. Remember, Mark Bergman was the general manager and the executive vice president of hockey operations. His role has been split into two roles now, um, with Jeff Gordon occupying that executive VP role. Um, just to you know, it's possible his his uh, track record has been beaten to death at this point. But I feel it's important to to walk through uh, you know the sort of things that he has done in his career as an NHL executive to kind of piece together what he's hoping to do in Montreal. Um, so he was uh, he was with the Bruins for a while. Um, in 2006, he became the interim GM while they searched for a full-time general manager who ultimately ended up being Peter Shirelli of all people. Uh, he was responsible for the Bruins' 2006 draft. And, you know, that whole summer was really, really sharp for uh, the Boston Bruins. At the draft, they picked Kessel, uh, Marshand, Lucic, um, they traded uh, Andrew Raycroft at the draft for Tuka Rask, um, which is kind of, you know, one of those trades that the the, the Maple Leafs look back on and they, they would definitely like a mulligan there. That's, the, first of all, what Rask became um, was tough enough to stomach getting rid of, but looking at what Andrew Raycroft was in Toronto was nowhere near what they were expecting to get. Um, so, you know as an interim GM he pulls off a heist of a trade um and then on July 1st he he signs uh Zdeno Chara and Mark Savard to uh free agent deals Mark Savard we knew he had the talent he was so injured that it never really panned out he was still an excellent Boston Bruin for a long for a long time um but it just never it never panned out because you know his 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 health just deteriorated due to a lot of hits that um you know were really questionable and suspendable throughout his career but in that same in that offseason as an interim general manager jeff Gordon acquired a future norris trophy winner um and a future Vesna winner in tukarask um and then the following summer in 2007 he was dismissed by the new general manager peter Shirelli, which is one of the funniest things that i think could have happened in hockey just knowing what we know now about peter Shirelli and how the teams that he drafts are just brutal a lot of the time, the teams that he builds. Um, yes, the, that Bruins team won the Cup in 2011 with Peter Shirelli in charge, but, I mean, they were set up with what um, Jeff Gordon had built to a certain extent. Um, after he's he's Jeff Gordon is released from Boston, he goes to uh, the New York Rangers as a pro scout. Uh, he becomes the director of player personnel for uh, for almost three years. And then he was an assistant general manager for a few years after that. And then on, on July 1st in 2015, um, he becomes the general manager. He wasn't responsible for the 2015 draft. Um, he probably helped a lot, had a lot of influence on that. But from an org chart perspective, um, that draft isn't his to own, um, at least you know for, for my purposes in, in evaluating his work in the past. Um, he did run the draft for the Rangers for the next four seasons, 2016 through 2020. Um, the first draft didn't have a ton of great picks. He had six draft picks, none of them before the third round. Remember those Rangers were still kind of going for it. Um, that 2014 team obviously beat the Canadians en route to the, um, the Stanley Cup final where they lost to the LA Kings. Um, they picked a lot of AHL guys with those picks, um, you know, from the third round on, but no one... They didn't get really any NHL guys in 2016. In 2017, um, he makes a big splash at the draft. Um, he trades um, Stepan and Ranta to uh, the Arizona Coyotes uh, in exchange for the seventh overall pick, and I believe Tony D'Angelo. So that's kind of funny. Um, but they use that seventh overall pick to draft leah Anderson, who just hasn't panned out he kind of felt mistreated misused by the the Rangers requested a trade he's now in LA um they also drafted Philip Heedle in that first round um he hasn't really panned out to the level that I I think Rangers fans and the Rangers staff would have hoped um it doesn't really matter how many games he plays in a season he always manages about 22 23 points and funny enough this season we're not even we're about halfway through it and he's on pace for it that that point total again um so that was the 2017 draft 2018 you're looking at what might end up being his best draft as the general manager um they take Vitaly Kravtsov uh Keandre Miller and Niels Lundqvist um Miller Miller's already an NHLer and is already part of a Rangers blue line that is really really um strong up front um you know him and Jacob Truba and obviously Adam Fox um, they kind of complement each other, but Keandre Miller looks like a bona fide NHLer that was picked um in that first round for the Rangers. Um Lundquist, I think is on his way to being there. I w- I, you know, he seems to just be on the on the bubble for the Rangers. Um I got to see him in Hartford not too long ago, and he was very noticeably the best player on the ice um against a very de- depleted Laval Rocket team, but he was still excellent. Um I should say he was the second best player on the ice because Keith Kincaid recorded a shutout for the um, Hartford Wolfpack and basically embarrassed me at the arena. Um, And Kraftsoff, you know, still maintains some level of value despite holding out from the Rangers, despite going back to the KHL after, you know, it looked like he was going to crack the lineup and then the Rangers, you know, kind of lost their minds and went out and got Ryan Reeves, and they signed Jared Tenorti, and they got all these guys because Tom Wilson broke their brains. Um, and I think a lot of those moves, Blake Coleman, you could throw him into that conversation as well. He's not a goon, but it, it adds a little bit more grit to that roster. Um, you can argue that that mentality, that shift for the Rangers, kind of forced a guy like Kraftsoff out, um, and then he could never really find his way back into the lineup. I still think that he's... A valuable trade chip for the Rangers, and I think a lot of teams in the league see him that way, but obviously the value is a little tarnished at this point. And then 2019 and 2020 are his last two drafts, and of course they go back-to-back um, drafting second overall in 2019. They take uh, Capo caco and then in 2020 they take Alexi Lafreniere first overall. Those drafts are still really hard to judge, um, just on the basis that they are You know, those are still very young players. Um, I don't think either one of them has had the easiest development, just given the world that we live in. Um, You know, a lot of things have fallen out of their hands. And it's not like Gorton went off the board with either of those picks. He took best player available in both spots. Um, Obviously, Lafreniere was the top of his draft class. There wasn't a lot of uh, expectation that they'd go any other way. And Capocacco was very easily the second best player at the draft. Um, the year he was picked behind Jack Hughes. So it's not like Gordon, you know, went off the board and did something stupid and it looks dumb because he did something stupid. I think of, um, in 20, let's see, was it 2016? The year that Arizona drafted Clayton Keller. I remember everybody going, Clayton Keller shouldn't have gone that high. And while he's a fine player, he's obviously not fifth overall fine. And there were other, there were better players available. Gordon didn't do that. He took the two guys that should have been taken in those spots. Time will tell. Um, how they pan out, but with all that said, it's not—it's not a great drafting record. Um, you know, it's not finding guys in the f- third and fourth rounds, uh, finding you know NHL talent in the third and fourth rounds. He's found some guys, but you know whether this is that falls on him not picking the right players or what have you, that draft record isn't—you know—it doesn't rival the better t- drafting teams in the league or the teams that just seem to find those gems and later rounds over and over again. Um, his trading is where it sort of gets into, um, you know, the territory that I'm more excited about just in the sense that we're looking at a rebuild. And I think he's capable of those kind of trades. Um, obviously I mentioned the step on and rounds trade for Tony D'Angelo in the 2017 first, um, it didn't work out so well, but he did He did get rid of some salary and step on, on in that trade. Um, and, you know, he found value. He got value in that, that seventh overall pick. Again, it was the drafting that kind of failed that transfer of value. Um, you know, if you make all those trades as rebuild trades and you get high draft picks and then you you duff the draft pick, it doesn't mean the trade was bad. It means the draft pick was bad. I think there's that time that, that kind of gets a little um, fuzzy when it comes to um, evaluating uh, not only draft talent, but, but your ability to trade um, this, the, the, the trade in here that stands out the most to me and should stand out the most to literally anybody is um, Derek Brassard in a seventh to Ottawa for Mika Zibanejad in a second. It's absolute larceny from the Rangers. Um, not to say Dirk Broussard's a bad player, but Miki Zabinejad is a is a you know a a number one center in this league. I don't know if he's, I wouldn't put him in the elite category, but he's right below it. Um, he's been phenomenal for the Rangers playing center in in a very you know contested market. Um, that and, and on top of that, just the two players aside, he managed to get a second on top of it, um, which you know it's not. The best draft pick, but it's it's that's value you're adding. I don't know what Ottawa was thinking with that trade. I still look back at it and wonder what what was happening there. Derek Broussard played very well for Ottawa, but not to justify that trade again. And then we get sort of into the the two trades that I think, um. I think encapsulate the rebuild for the Rangers the most. Um, Rick Nash goes to Boston for Matt Bolesky Uh, Ryan Spooner, um, I think that's Charlie, or not Charlie Lindgren, I can't think of his name, Lindgren, his, it's actually Charlie Lindgren's brother, I just can't remember the the first name at the moment, a 2018 first and a 2019 seventh, um, Nash was essentially toast at this point just because of the injuries that he had sustained in his career, so they did really well to get some really good value out of him, um, I think, I think that value would have been available from a bunch of other teams in the league, but Boston really wanted him, um. And you know Nash was a fan favorite in in New York. They spent a lot of dra- a lot of draft capital and prospect capital to get him in New York, out of Columbus with with another huge trade. Um, so you know to to cut bait on that and and realize you know we're moving on. We can't we can't hold on to this guy. I think that's something that's going to be valuable for the Canadians if they decide to go that rebuild route, which I'm I'm leaning towards them you know, towards accepting that that's the way they've chosen to go. And the second of those rebuild trades was um, Ryan McDonough and JT Miller for Vlad Mesnikov, Brett Howden, Lieber Hayek, a 2018 first, which became Niels Lundqvist, and a 2019 second. That one was a pretty good return. Um, McDonough obviously uh, had some term left on that deal. He's, I think, since extended in, um, in Tampa Bay. So, But it's still a very good return for the New York Rangers on the trade of their captain and another, you know, top six forward. Um, And part of that is falling to better draft position. Part of the the asset you acquire is the inability to compete in your conference, the inability to compete in the league and fall further and further down into a higher draft order. Um, You know, that didn't work in that sense because that was – they were trading for the 2018 draft, and that was the year they got Kraftsoff Miller and Lunkfist. So, I mean, you could say that that's a very, you know, that that plan did work out. They fell further, and they were able to draft higher. Obviously, those it it set them up for the next two years of being unable to compete and falling further and further. That's how they drafted Capocacco and uh, Alexi Lafreniere. Now, this one, the last thing that I think kind of completes what a general manager does. Um, is the free agency so, uh, signings that he had in New York. Obviously, we talked about two of them with Boston where he signs Zidane Chara and um, Mark Savar. Those worked out, I think, very well. Um, he did sign two in New York for defensemen. That kind of worried me because they seem like moves that the last guy in Montreal would have made, and that's Brendan Smith. He signed him for four years, $4.35 million. That's a huge yikes to me. Like, it's just a bad deal. But... Um, And then, obviously, the the Kevin Shattenkirk deal as well, four years, $6.65 million. Um, They were both in this, those contracts were both in the same summer. Uh, You know, you're doling out, what is that, $11 $11 million annually to two defensemen who just weren't all that great. Um, Shattenkirk's kind of turned it around a little bit, but he didn't look good then. And, you know, we kind of all thought that, that an overpay for Shattenkirk was coming, just based on, you know, everything we saw. Um, I think he was with the Blues, and they dealt him to the Caps at the deadline, and then he just didn't play well. Um, So even with all that said, he had set the Rangers up for a nice rebuild. Um, There's some young prospects there. They were, you know, trying their best to insulate them with good role players around them. He did, you know... Have some things fall into his lap, like Artemi Panarin wanting to play in a major city. Well, You're not getting any more major than New York, and you you know, you know get to live in Manhattan. It's a pretty sweet deal. Artemi Panarin signs with the Rangers. Um, that's a superstar winger that you don't need to worry about drafting or acquiring by any other means. It costs you no assets other than cap space to get him. And you know the other one being Adam Fox, who, like Panarin, just wanted to play in New York. Uh, I think he was drafted by the Flames. He ended up in Carolina as part of the Dougie Hamilton trade, um, and he didn't want to play in Carolina, so he the Rangers got his rights and were able to sign him. So you know these are things that fell into his lap as a Rangers GM that I think you know he gets a lot of credit for, despite the fact that he didn't really do much to build that aspect of the Rangers. Um, he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But there's a body of work that shows he can be successful in this role. What needs to come next is he needs to kind of adapt that to an organizational standpoint, because he's not the general manager; he's the executive vice president of hockey operations. He kind of needs to help, sh- you know, strengthen the vision of the Montreal Canadiens into what they keep what I keep hearing over and over again: a world class organization. And one of the places I keep seeing that is in this this. Um, Interview that that Eric Engels had on Sportsnet with um, Jeff Gordon. I'll link it in the description if you haven't read it yet, but it's it's excellent. You you should read it. I'll um, I have some some things to pull from it. He wants to build the Canadians into a um, a world class organization. Um, you know, he said when he came in, "quote I think that there was a little bit of an old school feel to this organization." Um, we know the Canadians like their. This is me talking now, not Jeff Gordon. We know the Canadians like their, their history and the, the, you know, the aspects of the team that, that revolve around glorifying their past. But he noticed something that I think a lot of fans have noticed where it just felt like the team wasn't um, adequately built to perform in the modern NHL um, or in the modern game of hockey. Um, you know, in, Jeff, or in Engel's article, he notes that the Canadians don't even currently employ a skills coach or have an in-house analytics department. Um, you know, And that's something that Jeff Gorton talks about later on that he wants to try to bring into the modern world. Um, you can't win in this league if you're a team like the Canadians and you are not flexing your financial prowess over the rest of the league in ways that are outside of the salary cap. Everybody has the same salary cap the Canadians are going to have a hard time signing free agents because of the tax issues in Montreal. Although, you know, Ken Hughes has said, well, I can get around that by, you know, structuring contracts a certain way. And I don't even think he's wrong, but that's just the reality of it. It's going to be hard to sign players because they, they see Montreal as a tax problem. Um, Where you can spend your money to give your team an edge is in your sports science. Um, even if you don't think analytics are valuable, which I think at that point, at this point, that ship has sailed. We know they have value in this league. Jeff Gordon notes that they have value in this league. Um, the Canadians have not had any kind of analytics department. Um, if you follow Shana Goldman of The Athletic on Twitter, she often updates a chart that she has um, that lists all of the analytics staff on each NHL team. The Canadians have three people on there, and none of them are like, Their names don't sound all of that, all that analytic. They're not like, it's like legal counsel was one of them that's on there. Like it's not a modern analytic department. You see a team like Toronto who values analytics very much and who is kind of in the same boat as the Canadians. They have a lot of money that they can't spend solely on players. Their analytics department is built. It's a very robust department. They have lots of skills coaches that come in and work with their players on individual skills, something that, as Eric Engels pointed out in here, the Canadians don't have. Um, there were other things, too, like that were pointed out in Eric Engels' article that, you know, communication was practically... This is a quote from someone who spoke um, anonymously. Communication was practically non-existent with families, and it really uh, fell off since the start of last season. Nutrition for the players has really slipped. This is being since COVID-19 started and, you know, Quebec's, uh, their protocols for dealing with it have shifted and have affected the Montreal Canadiens adversely. Um, the Canadian, you know, Eric Engel's points out that the Canadiens players were taking home bag sandwiches um, from their, their uh, practice facility. Um, you know, on the, when they were on the road, the main meal providers were like Uber Eats, or DoorDash, like they were, they were eating like me, which is a massive problem for a world star athlete. Um, you know, the, the the Canadians, it seems like COVID accelerated an issue that was already present under the last administration in Montreal. Um, I think one thing that Gordon wants to stress, and I, I think that's leaking into Hughes a lot too, and we can get into that is, and I'll just read the quote from him. Um, I think the players have to know that we care about them on and off the ice. It's the way the world works now. Listen, this is a huge part of the game. I think you have to make sure the players know that we're fully invested to do everything we can to take care of everything off the ice that they need, which includes their families. And it's the little things, but they're big things, whether it's taking care of their living arrangements, they need doctors, whatever they need. They need to know that we're able to handle that ultimately i can i think the thing to say is we can take care of everything away from the ice and just let them concentrate on being good hockey players and i think when they show up every day and it's a positive environment that we're taking care of their nutritional needs and their workouts that's something too we're going to need we're going to have the proper planning in place with everything so that everyone understands that we're doing the right things on and off the ice and we need to take care of the families that that to me is really um It seems that seems more than anything like a call to free agents saying, Hey, we're going to take care of you. If you come and play for the Montreal Canadiens, um, I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I know what was going on. Um, you know, under the last regime. Um, but it, it, it's very nice to hear that they're, they're considering taking care of their families as part of taking care of the player. Um, you know, during this COVID issue, we're talk. You know, we've talked a lot about Jeff Petrie's play falling off, and you know, one of the things that that's going on with Jeff Petrie right now is his his family has left Montreal and they're living in the states because of Quebec's COVID issue. That's not something Montreal can really handle, but it goes to show you how much off ice things could have a potential impact on the ice. I'm not going to say that correlation is causation here with Jeff Petrie, but it, it's it's it certainly has to you know impact him. And back into the area of, of analytics, um, you know, he says that they have enough um, access to analytics to carry them through the trade deadline on March 21st, um, and they've met with, quote, several bright people since then, um, and they want to put someone in place soon, um, but the, the thing that Jeff Gordon's looking for here is that he wants somebody who, while it is brilliant mathematically and analytically, he wants somebody that does have some background in the game, and um, he says, quote, it's hard to have that all in one, but you need that overlap. I believe you have to have some hockey background, really know the game. You have to have a deep understanding of how it all works to be able to sell each department on what you think is important. Um, and we heard that in in Marty St. Louis' um, uh, opening press conference where he said something along the, the very same lines that if you. If, you know, I believe in analytics in the sense that, you know, how they're deployed can help us win hockey games, but you have to be able to tell him how it helps you win, how it helps the concepts that he's trying to build. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for Gorton to say that he wants a, an analytic department who understands hockey. He, he Because the inverse of that is you end up with a team like the the Houston Astros, who you get all these financial executives in a front office, you know, just gamifying the game in a sense that kind of takes all creativity out of it. Um, I'm not going to say that, that that's why they decided to do the nefarious things they did in Houston, but the point still stands. It, it, you need to have somebody who can who can execute ideas that the coaching staff or that management wants to execute um, and be able to, to, you know, tell them which styles of play are more conducive for success with the roster they've built. I don't think there's anything there that's, you know, incredibly controversial. Um, and I, just to leave on Gorton here, one thing he said, you know, I'm ta- I wanted to talk about, you know, what team he wanted to build. He put it very plainly with Eric Engels. The organization he wants to build is quote, a first class one and a quote, really sk- a skilled, fast, really competitive hockey team that is tough every night and plays hard. Um, once it becomes like that, it's going to stay like that for a while. We're going to build it so that we can sustain success. I think that's um, a plan or at least the the outer workings of a plan that we have not seen in Montreal for a long time. Um, you know, he spoke pretty specifically about a lot of things in there, but some of it's a little vague and that's okay, but it seems like he stepped in there and understood the issues that were going on with the Canadians. Jeff Molson has bought into those issues. Um, and Kent Hughes is going to execute on solutions for those issues. Um, it's exciting to see that, you know, they're all kind of on the same page. It's nice that they're all speaking as much in that Eric Engels article. He says that Chantal McAbee has, has bragged that, you know, no one has set up as many one-on-one interviews in the last 40 years of the Canadians as she has in the last six weeks. Um, so the, the, I think the organization is getting more transparent in what they're trying to build, which will make my life a lot easier. But it'll also make it easier for us to be able to track success. Um, so I think that's all I had on on Jeff Gorton. Um, so I guess I'll shift to Kent Hughes now. And the first thing I wanted to talk about, which it seems even silly to mention... But with the Tyler to Foley trade, there were a lot of people complaining about leaks, um, you know, media leaks, the the trade getting out before it was official, um, and there seems to be this 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 narrative that nothing ever leaked from the last administration, that it was airtight and nothing ever got out, and you know, it's a sign of a bad organization when things do get out. Well. And I, that's it's revisionist history first like things leaked out of the mark bergevin administration regularly they did um whether that was mark Bergevin's own exit um larry brooks said he was going to la to join the kings well before he actually left to go join the kings and then he ends up joining the kings and we all forget that that was leaked by someone at the new york post um Weber's career-ending injury was leaked by Nick Kiprios, albeit a year in advance, but he still leaked it. It, was, it got out there. Um, the Subban trade was leaked. Nick Kiprios had that one too. I don't know what beat he has on the, the Canadian's uh, front office, or at least the Mark Bergman Canadian's front office, but that seems it seems like things definitely leaked out of this, that front office. And all of that's to say that leaks aren't necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah, sure they would like to get out in front of their own message and a lot of times they have to then scramble after the fact. But it's not the end of the world when something leaks. Especially with the Tafoli trade taking that into example and and taking what Gorton had said about taking care of families into account. Um, he said Kent Hughes said in that press conference afterwards that, you know, they didn't hold the presser immediately when the trade happened. Um, he said his main priority in those situations is the players, letting them know what's going on in the process, where they're headed, when they're expected to be there. Um, so Toffoli was the first person Kent Hughes told. And I think with Kent Hughes' background as a player agent, he understands that the players want to be involved. They want to know what's going on in this process. Um, you know, this isn't to, to say that Tyler Toffoli leaked it or that Kat Toffoli leaked it, but you know... Once you start telling people that information, just starts to seep out. Um, he also called Emil Haneyman, which I believe is the uh, the proper pronunciation according to uh, Elite Prospects. Emil Emil Haneyman, um, who was acquired in that trade, he called him to reassure him that he wasn't just a throw in in the trade. Uh, Haneman is twenty years old. He has yet to sign an NHL deal, and he's on his second trade in a year. He's on his third his the third team owning his rights. Um, he wanted to let him know that he they, the Canadians really wanted him. Um, so when the trade leaks at that point, when it's leaking after players have been informed that they've been traded and before the trade call is official with the National Hockey League, there's not really a ton of harm there um, unless a team backs out, which at that point, who's backing out of that trade? Calgary got a sweet deal for Tyler Toffoli, unless there's some injury history that they were unaware of at the time, which is unlikely. They're not going to back out, and Montreal's getting a first round pick, a seventh round pick, and a prospect that they really like. Allegedly, they're not backing out. The only thing, the only time I can think of when this happened was the Aguilera trade to Pittsburgh, um, where I think it was going to be Boston, and then he, you know, the Jay Feaster and, and Calgary got the deal together and. Then he, t- he said at the last second, he goes, I don't want to go to Boston. And, you know, that kind of ruined that. But that's that's no trade protection, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not saying this doesn't happen, but it's just very uncommon. And, I th- like, the idea that we need to be concerned about leaks is odd. This isn't the nuclear codes. It's a Tyler to Foley trade. Like, everyone needs to relax. The key takeaway should be that Hughes... And the organization as a whole seemed to be prioritizing the player. Um, you know, Letting the player know about the trade is one of the last steps, I would imagine, in completing the trade. So it's not a big deal, and it prioritizes the player, which is something that needs to happen more as this team um, rebuilds and becomes that world-class organization that Jeff Corton had talked about. Um, but in that press conference, we also learned a little bit about Kent Hughes' market philosophy for this upcoming trade deadline. Um, He made it clear in that press conference that he's not going to wait until the deadline if he gets the deal that he wants. He's essentially telling every team in the National Hockey League, if you want this player, come make me the best deal you can. And if it fits for us, I'm going to take it. Um, He's not gamifying it by waiting until the clock is running out and trying to milk every last seventh round draft pick out of you know the the st louis blues or something like that he's trying to get the deal that he thinks is best um and we'll have to see how that plays out you know he's it's not it's not likely he'll overplay his hand just because if he's looking for that best deal he can work backwards if he doesn't like the deals that he's getting and he can kind of give a little bit there but he's not his idea here isn't to overplay his hand and and get the you know the most assets at the deadline on the other hand um you know he could underplay his hand in that scenario where he just takes the first deal that 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 really that really you know works for him um and you know maybe there's there's more deals out there that that could have um netted montreal a better return it's all hypothetical obviously um and on principle i like the idea of Of making those deals sooner rather than later. Look at the standings. The playoff teams are basically set. Um, Their positioning isn't set, but I mean, the teams that are in are likely going to be in when the playoffs start, and the teams that are out are likely going to be out. That creates a very solid dividing line between markets of buyers and sellers. Um, You know, it doesn't look like he's going to wait for the market to be set, he wants to be a market setter. Um, that's what he did with the Toffoli trade. He said, we got the picks that we got the the parts that we want. I'm executing this trade. Um, and I'll break down more when the deadlines passed, I'm going to go through all of the deals that they've made since then. So I'm not ignoring that aspect of it, but it's just not important for what we're trying to do here today. Um, so he's going to put himself in the driver's seat, which I think is very bold for a first time general manager. Um, but I think he also knows how this plays out from it, from a player perspective. Um, you know, I bet it's a little bit of a game of musical chairs and some players who want out then run out of a spot. Um, they don't have a team to go to. I think teams, it's a little bit of a game of musical chairs. You don't want to miss out on that defenseman that you wanted or that that last, you know, third line winger that could really put your team over the edge. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and, you know, thinking long-term with this team, it'll be interesting to see how Hughes the seller and Hughes, the buyer, at the deadline operate differently. Under the last administration, we kind of saw a stark difference between the two and how the, the seller seems to do better than the buyer. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Obviously, we can only judge him on what he's doing now. Um, In, you know, sort of the the larger scope of things, just like, Jeff Gorton, and it seems to be a message that's read up and down the, the Canadians' org chart. Hughes has also talked about modernizing the Canadians. Um, when he was first hired, he was talking about modern NHL coaching and he named Rod Brindamore as an example of a modern NHL coach, um, which I don't even necessarily disagree with. It's it's tough to look at Rod Brindamore's body of work and say that he's not doing well. Um, and, you know, when when the rumors first started going out that, that Marty St. Louis was going to be the next head coach of the Montreal Canes. I, you know, I joked, I said, this just seems like Rod Brindamore, but French. Um, if that ends up being the case, Montreal is in really good shape. Um, obviously, Rod Brindamore had a little bit more seasoning as a assistant coach before taking on a head, a head coaching role, but you know, that, that's that same idea is there. Um, you know, and just to, to, to tie a bow on, on the modernizing aspect of it. When you've got Kent Hughes saying it as the GM and you have Jeff, I almost said Jeff Molson, Jeff Gorton saying it as the VP, you know that this has to be something that Jeff Molson wants, that he wants a modern NHL team. Um, He wants, he, you know, they're they're in that Engels article. It says they're not going to spare any expense. They're going to go after the things that they need to help, build not only a team, but but an organization that is conducive to winning. Um, I think that that's an aspect of all of this that we may not see a lot of um, from where we're sitting. But it's something that is going to make a huge difference if they execute properly. So then the last thing um, I have here is the concept of the uh, old boys club, or as some in the French media have been saying, a country club. Um, obviously the NHL is sort of ripe for this kind of, um, organization building. Um, a lot of these guys are buddies. They hire their buddies to do stuff. Um, I'm going to paint both sides of this and then tell you where I kind of stand. But, um, you know, early in the building of the front office and hockey ops, um, Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes they're already being accused of building that country club based on the moves that they've made. Um, Obviously there's the the thought that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are best friends. Um, They've known each other for quite some time. And Jeff Gordon very clearly said in his, when he hired Kent Hughes, he he said, I think Kent would agree with me. Kent is not my best friend. It was very funny. I think Jeff Gordon is a very um, sharp witted guy. Um, I also believe him when he says that I believe that they're not, you know, on the phone with each other constantly. I believe him when he says that they aren't best friends, they don't go golfing together, that sort of thing. Um, it goes a little bit deeper than that though. So in that press conference for the Toffoli trade, they mentioned that, um, they're talking to Nikolai Bobrov or Nick Bobrov. Um, they've since hired him as co-director of amateur scouting. He was the former director of European scouting for the Rangers and Bruins under Jeff Gorton. um, and it's just, it's very clear that Gorton is going back to familiar wells with Hughes and now Bob Roth. Um, the Bob Roth one makes more sense in the sense that um, he's not with an NHL team right now, which means that, you know, he's kind of free to hire. When it comes to guys that, that are with NHL teams, you're not getting them until the draft is over. Um, teams protect that information, their, their draft lists. Their their scouting reports they protect all of that but you know that means that they they won't let a guy go to another team and participate in a draft using their what they think essentially is proprietary information um, so that's why Bob Roth makes sense to come in now because he can at least help you now um, and he he has a history in the NHL he's not just some guy they pulled off the street he's not just Jeff Gorton's neighbor he's he was a head of European scouting um, he'll be the what is it the co director of Amateur scouting. Um, Gorton was in the Rangers organization when St. Louis was in New York. He retired shortly after. I know Kent Hughes and St. Louis know each other very well. Um, Vinny Lacavalier is now in the organization as, uh, I can't even remember the name, is a special assistant to the general manager or special advisor to the general manager. Vinny Cavalier obviously had Kent Hughes as his agent. So there's, you know, some connections there as well as, you know, the, the Canadians seem to be rumored to be interested in Rangers prospects. That just may be because Ben Sherrod is a good fit with the Rangers. Um But you know, there, there's a lot here. I'm just listing everything I know as far as their connections so far. So let's, I, I do want to kind of unpack them though. So first on Jeff Gordon, this is just me thinking out loud. I think there's some unfinished business with what he was building in New York. Um, Remember, think back to when he was fired. It was Tom Wilson dummying two of his players on the ice. It was uh, their owner, James Dolan, releasing a... uh, Basically, I I guess it's a press release, but it was... I don't know. It was basically a diss track to... Uh, George Peros and the Department of Player Safety putting them on blast. We know that um, both Jeff Gorton and the president, I can't remember his name right now, Davidson. Davidson, they they disagreed with the the message. Um, and, you know, shortly after that, they were canned. He was, I think he's mad because he was, Jeff Gorton was building that Rangers team and they're, you know, we look at them now and they're going to be a playoff team. And I think this is just the opening of their window. Um, especially with a young elite goaltender, um, some defensive players that I listed earlier that are playing really, really good hockey. Um, I think he looks at that and I have no reason to believe this other than it's just what I believe. I think he looks at that and he th- he thinks there's unfinished business there that it was unfair the way he was canned. Um, and that he needs to, he needs to right that wrong. You know, he has said nothing but, you know, truly intelligent and truly, um, you know, observant things since taking over. And I think he has a, a higher purpose than just building a hockey team. Um, so he's he's putting people that he trusts in charge of, you know, what's going on off the ice with, you know, talking to families or making sure that the Canadians are in a good spot with their analytics department or their nutrition or that sort of thing. Um, If he can hire the people that he trusts to run the hockey side of it, he can focus more on everything else in the back end. It's delegation more than anything, I think. So, you know, in that respect, with him hiring his his buddies, I'm not worried, um, at least not yet. And I'll continue with that. You know, Kent Hughes, he's an agent. And I think most of being an agent is building and managing relationships. So that's what made him an attractive general manager. It makes sense that he's going to hire the people that he has a good relationship with. Um, You know, conversely, like, would you hire somebody who you don't have a good relationship with that you don't know all that well? Um, It makes sense, you know, with these guys who have been in the sport for their entire lives seemingly it makes sense that they would try to hire the people who have been along on that journey with them um i think kent hughes also knows what he doesn't know um he knows that agents try to understand players and try to voice their concerns but agents don't speak player players do um i think bringing in saint louis for that purpose is really smart um, not only are you bringing in a player, you're bringing in a hockey hall of famer. Um, Vinny Lacallier, again, I don't know what his role is. I have no idea what the special advisor to the channel manager is. Um, so it's really difficult for me to get upset about a hire that, even if it is just a buddy hire, like who cares? I don't know what this job is. Um, But Hughes is putting his own reputation on the line and hiring those guys. You know, he has said, my relationships with them are great. They are hired um, to do these jobs because I trust that they will be able to do that. And that's where that transaction, I think, gets lost. People think that, you know, there seems to be this idea that as soon as someone's hired, there's no accountability between the guy that hired him and the person doing the job. Partially because of everything that we saw in the last administration. So with that said, I don't think this is an issue yet. The key word being yet. Hiring people you know I don't think is a problem. Um, I think keeping people you know when situations are going poorly and they don't seem to be able to handle that role, that's when it becomes a problem. Mark Bergerman and Michelle Tarian were friends. We know that. Hiring Michelle Tarian we knew was going to be bad because we had already seen it. At least these hires that are, if you even call them friendly hires... You have to give these people the benefit of the doubt because we don't know what they're going to do in that role. We don't know much about the histories of a lot of these people in their current roles, which is both you know exciting and scary at the same time. It seems to be a built-in excuse for if and when things go poorly for the Canadians, that if things go badly, they can go, ah, see, he hired his friends and they sucked at their jobs. Um, which I don't... The, this thing hasn't even... They haven't even stripped this thing all the way down yet. So to be, you know, determining how things are going to end based on what we've seen so far, it's impossible. Um. I will say I completely understand the optics and how, you know, we were promised, first of all, diversity from Jeff Molson, which we have not seen yet. I I, I hold out hope that... that they have some ideas of people who are potentially still in Beijing as the Olympics are wrapping up. Um, you know, the, the Canadian women's just one goal. We know that they've talked to Mary philippe Blain about potentially joining the organization when her playing days are over. Um, her playing days are thankfully very much not over because I enjoy the hell out of watching her play hockey. Um, but it can't just be, well, we tried Mary philippe Blain and she said no, so we're done. There has to be more there. Um, but not only were we promised diversity, um, but, you know, there's a lot of other roles to be filled out in this organization, head of analytics, an entire analytics analytics department. We still need two assistant general managers at least. Um, so there's, there's still things to be built out there, but what I won't do anymore is, you know, give the Canadians the golf clap that they have not earned yet the canadians have not done enough in the way of diversity and hiring people that don't all look the same and don't all come from the same backgrounds that stuff is important um you know you looked at camry granado and emily casting getting hired as assistant general managers out in vancouver that stuff matters um just if, if mary philippe plan did retire from playing hockey and she wanted to join the Canadians that would matter a great deal, but she's not. So you have to keep digging. Um, you know, I, people talk about the, the, the French language requirement in Montreal being, uh, you know, a hindrance on them hiring people that are able to do the job. Well, that's because I think a lot of people are just saying that it's French, white French men who can fill that role. And that's not the case. If you open that pool up to hiring black French people, black French white people who live in Quebec, or black French white people, that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> black French women who live in Quebec, when you open that up, it, it, the right people are there. I know they are. And a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, are saying that. Um, so that's just not me making things up. That reality is there. So, you know, to close on that, like, I don't think I, I, I don't think I'm worried yet about the old boys club or the country club aspect of this. I don't think that that's a reality yet. It can build. What's important is, is, you know, how these people interact in their jobs. If they're bad at them, you need to get rid of them but we don't know they're bad at them. So what do we have to lose over the next few years anyway? They're going to try to be bad at hockey. I'm not worried about that aspect of it. Um, I think I I do trust right now anyway, Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes to do the right thing. Jeff Molson is a little bit further removed from that trust. I'll be, I'll be Frank just because I think he falls for smooth talkers a a lot. Um, But I'm not, I'm not so worried about the other two that have been brought in to do this job. So with that, I'll end with the question that I'm going to ask on every episode here. Are the Canadians any closer to winning the Stanley Cup um, than they were at the end of November in 2021 when Jeff Gorton was brought in to be the executive vice president? The answer is still obviously no. Um, They are still stripping this thing down to the studs. even, you know, if they go that far, I don't know how far they'll go. Um, there are some rumors that potentially Josh Anderson might be on the move. That would be sort of a rebuild-esque trade. Um, but I don't think that's a reality just yet. Um, so, no, they're not any closer. They still have front office things to build out. We still don't know how Marty St. Louis does in the long run. So we've, we've all kind of got to pump the brakes a little bit on some excitement. Um, I don't think the answer to that question is going to be yes for some time. And that's okay. That's what this is all about, is the long run, building a team that isn't just good for one season and then disappears. I want that answer to be yes for a while, Um, that they're constantly building once they get to that stage where they're actively trying to win hockey games and make the playoffs and make noise in them. So I think that'll wrap on this week. Uh, Next week, I'll try to talk about some uh, coaching aspects what Marty St. Louis wants to do with this Canadians team. Um, you know, not so much about roster construction because who knows what players he'll have at his disposal over the next little while, um, but more so just how he wants this team to play. Um, there's an article about, um, about that sort of thing in The Athletic right now. I'm going to try to cover that. Um, so tune in for that next week. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about that sort of thing. Alright, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should go do that, at Maybe It's Ian, um, at RabbitHabs for the blog. We post some things pretty sporadically at this point. Um, The music you heard at the beginning of this show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page, and and listen to the rest of his stuff. It's really good. Alright guys, take care. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.